Radio Mano Papachango. to another edition of tangentially speaking ladies and gentlemen sluts and bastards pricks and cunts and everyone in between i'm coming to you from Copayan, thailand again uh, although this episode won't be uploaded until i get back to bangkok in a few days where I am hoping I'll have an internet connection that will allow such things. There are problems in paradise, I must say. I love it here. It's beautiful. I hope to come back many times. Uh, but there are sand flies. There are mosquitoes. There are, most annoyingly, very energetic little flies everywhere. Um, not sand flies, not biting flies, just your basic garden variety housefly. But they're the very energetic type and very insistent. So, you know, it little bastard will land on your right kneecap. You shoo it away. It flies in a circle, comes back a second later to the exact same spot. You shoo it away again. It flies. It comes back to the same spot, to the same spot. There's no reason. There's nothing on my kneecap that's particularly interesting to a fly, I have to believe, that doesn't exist everywhere else on my body. But they're just willful that way, which makes them particularly annoying. They're not dangerous. In fact, the Thai people here say that this time of the year the flies are clean because they're not landing in shit and dead bodies. They're landing in the fallen cashew fruit that's everywhere bestows this island like bright red giant bird shits we were having pizza the other night and one fell from a tree over the table and landed with a splattering thud right next to uh, a woman's plate it's like uh, a bird shit the size of a tennis ball imagine that just splatter everywhere uh, anyway, what other problems are there? Well, my big problem in paradise is uh, that a few days ago we were moving from one bungalow to another. So all our clothes were in our backpacks and everything. And then we decided to go have some breakfast. So we jumped on the motorbike and rode about 15 minutes from here. And uh, I didn't have a shirt on. Why not? Who cares? It's it's the island. Nobody's wearing shirts. Have breakfast under a little uh, umbrella canopy kind of thing. And then came back. And uh, a few hours later, it came to my attention that I had an incredible sunburn. I don't really understand it because we were only in the sun for 10, 15 minutes or something. But I guess when we were having breakfast, the canopy that seemed to be providing shade wasn't really, I don't know what. My skin is very sensitive to sun. So now I've got one of those sunburns that's got little blisters everywhere in it. And soon they'll start bursting and I'll have skin peeling from my body like a fucking lizard. 
It's hard being a white man in paradise. Meanwhile, Cassie's out walking around in the noonday sun as if it's nothing, and she just gets more and more beautiful and rich, and you can see the health in her skin as it absorbs the sun. I don't know. I'm pretty happy with my body in general. Not that I'm, I'm no, I'm not very body conscious. It's not something I've spent much time reveling in over the years, but things seem to work all right. Generally, you know, my teeth aren't so great. I'm not particularly beautiful, but I'm tall. I'm healthy. Things work. I got no complaints except my fucking skin. If there's one thing I could change about my body, it would be my skin. I would have skin like Casilda, that deep cocoa brown color that's just so beautiful to look at. Every color looks great against it. Um, but anyway, nobody gets it all, right? I'm not going to rant much uh, unless you count what just happened to rant. This is part two of the episode with Viram. One of my closest, most beloved friends. Uh, I think at the end of this one, we talk about his shop uh, here on the island where he sells um, jewelry that uh, he's made from stones that he's gathered over the years. Uh, I'm right now wearing a necklace that he gave me that I uh, hope to never take off. It's beautiful, made from stones that he uh, well, actually, they're beads um, that were made between 1500 and 2000 years ago in uh, Burma and that have uh, washed down the river when the rainy season comes. It um, the, the erosion uncovers these beads and they wash down the river and children pan for beads, ancient beads in the river like gold prospectors. And uh, he was able to buy some and make uh, necklaces. So Cassie and I now have matching necklaces. And um, anyway, Viram makes this this jewelry. Uh, if you're interested in buying any of his jewelry, uh, as I said, we'll hook you up. I think there will be a link on my website to um, Kalau's Facebook page. Kalau is Viram's girlfriend. She also makes this wild embroidered stuff that she was using a technique that she learned from a sadhu in Varanasi. So it's a, an ancient Indian technique that she employs in her own very unique and uh, whimsical, beautiful, psychedelic sort of way. So, and today, interestingly enough, is Kalau's 40th birthday. So if you're interested in purchasing any of Kalau's work or Viram's products, you'll see on the website. We'll work it out somehow. Uh, you know, this one of my points of pride on this podcast is that it's uh, we don't accept advertising. It's not a money grubbing affair. Um, so I'm just offering this opportunity to you to put you in touch with uh, my great friend Viram and Kalau because their stuff is incredible. And uh, yeah, if I can put a, a, an eager purchaser together with a friend who makes amazing stuff, then I figure I'm doing you both a favor. Uh, that's it. I hope you enjoy the second half of my conversation with Viram. 
I hope to see him in a couple months this summer in Spain. And uh, maybe uh, if you guys enjoy this, we'll... It'll be easier to convince him to sit down for maybe uh, episode three and four, and we'll just keep going and see what secrets we can uncover, what the erosion washes away, and that we can pan for in Viram's story. A quick uh, word on the music you're going to hear in this episode. There are three pieces of music that I will be playing. Uh, one, the instrumental, is called Pygmy Lullaby. It's uh, one of my absolute favorite pieces of music, and uh, so I'm going to play the whole piece. It's based on um, a, an actual lullaby that was recorded by ethnomusicologists among the pygmy people um, of, I, I believe they live in Congo mostly. And uh, interestingly, when we did our DNA tests, Casilda it turns out, has a significant amount of DNA from the pygmy people. So this is a pygmy lullaby by Jean Garberek. Um, and then we'll also be listening to a song called Janfa, I think is how it's pronounced. It's, uh, let me see, by Amadou and Miriam, who are from Senegal. I think I've played some music by them before. Maybe it was on the Soma episode. In any case, this song is called Janfa D spelled D-J-A-N-F-A, and it's by Amadou and Miriam. It's produced by Manu Chao, this particular record, so you'll recognize some of his sort of manic energy. Um, I'll have a link up to where you can buy a copy of that as well through iTunes. And then the last piece of music that you'll be hearing, or maybe not last, but I'm not sure what order I'm going to put them in yet. But anyway, it's called Kidda, K-I-D-D-A, and it's uh, by Natasha Atlas, who I believe is an Egyptian singer. I don't have internet where I'm recording this, so I can't confirm these facts for you. I guess that sort of um, gives away the secret that sometimes when it sounds like I really know what I'm talking about, it's just because I've Googled shit uh, before turning on the recorder. So now you're just getting the raw ignorance. Anyway, this is uh, this third song is Kida and it's Natasha Atlas. Uh, and I think it was from a, an Arabic groove compilation or something that somebody gave me anyway if i can find a link when i'm in bangkok i'll have that up on my page as well all of this of course photos of viram and kalau and their art and uh, some photos from the island and all that you can find at chrisryanphd.com or uh, you can just go directly to tangentiallyspeaking.com it takes you to the same place basically thanks for listening greetings from thailand I'll be coming to you next from Cape Town, South Africa, where we'll be headed in a few days. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support. Hope you're well.
we are back. It's a couple days later, still on Kopayam. Payam, why is there an H? Because it's not Fayam. No, but you know, it would be spelled Fayam if it was English, but it's Thai. Yeah. So I, I'm always confused by that when they're translating something from an, it's not even the same alphabet. No. And it ends up with extra letters. Like, who the fuck does that? You know, like whoever decided that's the way you spell this in the English or the Western alphabet, yeah, yeah, yeah. why did they put a fucking H? I wouldn't know. I was decided to, I mean, the translation from Thai language into English language of the names of city and places, I don't know who makes it, if it's, Engl if it's uh, foreigners or, or Thai. It's all, I think it's a weird historical oddities, uh -huh. you know, because some of them, they keep the name in the original language and others, they just come up with something similar. Like, uh, I mean, like, for example, in Spanish, people talk about Nueva York, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Um, but Chicago is Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Los Angeles is Los Angeles. Seattle is Seattle. But they translate Nueva York. It's weird. Yeah, I, I mean, it's weird also like that, like if you call me by name, you call me by my name. No? Why do you call the country by, by I mean, not, not yeah. its original name, but the translation. Or, or what you're like Nippon, right? Japanese exactly. call it Nippon. Yeah. We call it Japan. Japan. Well, what the fuck? Yeah. Call it Nippon. Like, why are we? Yeah. Or also like. In Italy, Venice, Rome. Why you call it Venice, not Venezia, like it is called? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Strange. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, w American names uh, of cities we call them Italians call them like New York. You call it New York. Mm. You don't call it Nuova York. Uh, like you don't do that. No. Yeah. You call it New York or right. Chicago, or Minneapolis. Yeah. I mean, there might be an accent or a pronunciation yeah, yeah, difference, right. but you don't change the whole name. Uh, why did you change our names? Because we are the colonialists. <laughs> That's the difference. When you run the colony, you, you get to name to shit. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Roma. Fuck you, it's Rome. Yeah. When in Rome. Yeah, but it doesn't make, you know, Roma when you read it upside uh, back back to front. Uh, amor. Uh -huh. If you say it in English, you it's don't have imor. It. Yeah, imor means what? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Okay, so we're back with Viram. I don't know if this is going to be a new episode or if you're catching part two or three or four or whatever of one episode. I have no idea because we, uh, we haven't decided. We are just, a, I mean, we are still on the first trip to India, which was almost 30 years ago. <laughs> and we are just half through the first trip to India and Pakistan. Yeah. So I don't know. So what should we talk faster? I don't know, either faster or jump. <laughs> jump. Actually, uh, about We're, we're going to jump backwards. I, I realized just before when we were riding in the motorbike that I've mixed up a few things in the story. Oh, so it doesn't matter. Don't, we're not here for factual, uh, uh, you know. That, don't worry about that. When I did the thing with Lodi, uh, the, the guy who rode his motorcycle, uh, he's, he's funny. He's a very careful thinker. And he wrote to me, he said, 
Uh, I think I mixed up a few things. Now that I've listened to it, I'd like to correct the record. I was like, Lodi, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna do a podcast of you saying it was 1967, not 1968. Uh, yeah, Nobody yeah. gives a shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Was there something you wanted to? No, no, no. That I, I told you. I realized I mixed up. Like I remember when I said that I walked up that path, pass, and and there was the the big Nanga Parbat on my left side. Right. Actually, that was on another walk that I made. Oh, really? Well, because instead of that mountains. I mean, the mountains actually was another mountain. It was called Tirik Mir, not Nenanga Parbat. Uh -huh. Nenanga Parbat was on a walk that I did after after the walk that I talked about. On. Right. You did another walk in Pakistan? Yeah, shorter one, like like 100 kilometers, with, just afterward. With a donkey? No, on my, by myself. Uh -huh. With an English guy, actually, for for half of the of the of the walk. Better a donkey. Yes, <laughs> I, I would think so. At that time, actually, well, he was a burden more than the donkey. Really? Yeah, I had to. I mean, I had to wait for the guy all the time because we had we had a different path. So yeah, no, but he was a good good guy anyway. Yeah. So, but that was another, and I mixed up a few things with these two walks in Pakistan so but anyway that happens it was all walking anyway yeah it's walking in Pakistan yeah. same chapter exactly yeah um, the other night I, I was asking you about uh, your interest in gemstones uh -huh. and we haven't even gotten into that um, but on my webpage, if it's okay with you, I'll put a couple of photos of the pipes that you, you make. Okay, yes. No. Which are just extraordinary. When I met you, uh, you were basically living from those. Yes, I was making these pipes from, uh, as you said before, from stones and, and exotic woods, hard woods. And I was making a living with them. Not making many because to make one would take a month work, but I would get good money for them. So, and I was living in Asia, so it wasn't that expensive to live there, and, and I could live on them. Yeah, and when you say good money, is it okay if I mention more or yeah. less about a thousand euros yes. a pipe, right? Yes. Uh, and if you think it's uh, very expensive to pay a thousand euros for a hash pipe that's about what three inches long. Yeah, three, four inches. Yeah, four inches. Uh, take a look at the photos on my webpage. You'll see. It's like smoking from a piece of jewelry. It's they're incredible, and each one is completely unique. Uh -huh. And they have the the case that, in some cases, literally cases, is made. I remember one olive wood where you yeah. made the box from the same piece of wood that the pipe was made from. Exactly. So the grain of when you set the pipe into the box, the grain matched the grain of the box. I mean. Jesus yeah. Christ, fucking beautiful stuff. Yeah, there's no no confusion why Michelangelo was Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting even close to Michelangelo anyway. <laughs> yeah, but there's a... It's funny, the whole question of Italian culture, you know, because there's a all right, if we say what's italian culture famous for well oh the lover the great lovers you know whatever the the you know mama's boys which goes together with the lover thing a little bit 
uh, fast cars, yes. beautiful aesthetics, uh -huh. uh, really good food. Yeah, yes. And kind of, uh, well, what's the word? Like sort of mm, unreliable, you know, that whole Latin, like mm -hmm. the late and the, I mean, I don't know how, to what extent that's true or that's just propaganda from the British or what. But, I mean, I remember uh, when I worked in an auto garage in high school, one of the, the mechanics said, you know what FIAT stands for? Fix it again, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, think they are right. Because they, they would always say, like, get a car that, you know, where the, the body is designed by Italians, but uh -huh. the inside is made by Germans. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is true as far as cheap commercial normal car for for uh, for normal people uh, right. is concerned but like when you go into the sport cars then there you have the quality even even if you're not German you know right. because if you go into Ferrari Lamborghini all these cars there's quality in there of course So why is that? Why are Lamborghinis, Maseratis, Ferraris, why are they all from Italy? Is there like a tradition of uh, racing uh, there? Uh, I guess so, you know, because actually they all come, as I told you, from the region where I live from, and, and the region is in between the Alps and the Apennines, so it's a plain, a, like huge plain, the roads are flat and straight, and I guess that that's inspiring for, for, for people to, to run with the car, no? Is there a tradition of fast horses from there? Horses, not, but, but like for cars and, and, and drivers of cars and, and, and also the motorbikes, you know, like Valentino Rossi or uh. and, and Simoncelli, the one who died a few years ago, they, were, they are all big champions and they all come from that region. So there must be mm. something to do with, well, it's all, yeah, well, I guess that, 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 yeah, with mechanics and things like this, they've always been fairly good in that region. I don't know where exactly right. it comes from, but... Yeah. Well, it could just be, you know, those things spring up. If there's one guy who makes great cars and then suddenly someone else says, I could do that. Exactly. Actually, you're right, because I, if I well remember, the thing between Lambor La Ferrari and Lamborghini was a kind of competition mm. between Enzo Ferrari and Ferruccio, I think his name, Lamborghini, something mm. like that. Enzo Ferrari was making the car, and then at the beginning, I think, Lamborghini was making tractors. But then he decided to make cars also, and they got into a sort of competition, and yeah. then you got this very fast car. Right? right. So, yeah, it might have something to do with that. <laughs> but it's just funny to me that there's this perfection mm. associated with Italian culture, it, like there isn't with Spanish culture, mm, for example, mm, right? I guess it has to do, as you said before, with aesthetics. No? Right. which Italians are very focused on, you know. Appearance in Italy is very important, yeah. much more than the content of, yeah. of the thing, as a matter of fact. And, and uh, so Italians like to appear something which they are actually not most of the time. Mm. But that's important because it, it appears that for Italians it's important what other people think mm. about you. And, uh, so I think it's all based on a very superficial uh, uh, 
assess of what you see around you know so in that sense yes it's very developed this aesthetic and appearance uh, aspect of things but uh, when you go deeper many things you find them empty in a way yeah people included i would think yeah is italy as I mean, I, I have experience in Spain. I've never lived in Italy, but I imagine that it's a, a very uh, sort of insular culture where, like, everyone knows each other. There's a lot of family connections. Mm -hmm. Reputation is very important. It's hard to get away from who you are. Yes, or where I you think, come I from. Think it has something of that. You know. You know. If Family in Italy is quite important thing, and and uh, children are attached to the family till uh, till, till late in the in the. Is it like Spain? They don't move out oh till yeah, they're married. So or much so. I mean, yeah. you have you have forty forty five years old men li still living with their parents. Right. You know? Is that just economics or? It's always Economics, been Economics, but also like the parents don't 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 let you go sometimes, mm. you know? and the child of course feels served and 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 right. and, and so uh, he feels good there. Doesn't <laughs> why change this yeah, situation? Yeah. To go and live with a wife that uh, doesn't cook as well as yeah. Mama, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I think uh, for most of people who, who still live with their parents is like that. Can you, how much can you read about a person from their accent in Italian? Is it like, for example, in, in England, you can tell not only where they're from, but what class they're in? Is there that kind of class identity in accent, or is it just regional? Well, no, yeah, no, I wouldn't think that it's so much a class identity, you know, because uh, yeah, we have many, many different dialects, so many different accents, and, and you, you can just move like 20 kilometers and you already just, you already have a different dialect, no? Yeah. But dialect may, might be spoken by, let's say, a poor person or a rich person, so you wouldn't know. Okay, you so it know. doesn't identify no, class. No, not really, not really. Yeah, the United States is like that too. It's just regional, uh -huh. where there is an accent. Not everyone has an accent. Do you, you have an accent? People know you're from Modena. Well, yes, Italian people would would know I am from Modena. Right, yes. right. Because I, I like know. I don't really have a regional accent. Mm -hmm. Americans don't know where I'm from. Yeah, yeah, listening yeah. to me, it's just like uh, television. Neutral, yes, neutral. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So not everyone has it. But in England, my understanding is that you can tell the class someone's from mm -hmm. even like what school they went to wow. uh -huh. like people who went to oxford are slightly different from cambridge yeah, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. know whatever. well they've always had this class they're super Same class conscious this. yeah uh, yeah so anyway you were saying the other night we were talking and you uh, mentioned that uh, your interest in gemstones actually arose on this walk yeah, on that this, we're talking about yeah, yeah. What happened was that uh, as I was walking on this on this valley, you know, uh, at a certain point uh, I saw a figure far away coming towards me, and and as he came closer, I saw he was a very old man, and actually 
from the look, he, he looked like he had under, he was 150 years old, such an old old man. No, he came closer to me and he took out from his pocket a, a bundle of cloth, and he opened it in front of me, and inside he had crystals, crystals of uh, garnet, and what else was the aquamarine and. Uh, some other different crystals, no? And, and, well, and I was fascinated by first the, 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 the occurrence of this old man coming to me with these yeah. stones that appear to be precious, no? And they looked precious because they were very beautiful. And, uh, and he wanted to sell these stones to me. And I thought, well, why not? Uh, he asked me very little money for these stones, and uh, so I decided to buy them. And uh, so I w after, after I bought them, I remember I was reaching my pocket and, and, and taking out the bundle and opening it and looking at them and, and thinking, oh, wh what is in there? Maybe, maybe there's something really valuable, you know? But apart from that, I was really fascinated by the beauty of these stones. Yeah. And, uh, and they, were, they were in a raw state. They weren't uh, yeah, tumbled yeah, just, or just, anything. Just uh, raw crystals, yeah. you know, uh, of good quality, because, for example, the aquamarine was very transparent and it had a nice uh, aquamarine color. Mm. And, uh, but yes, they were in the pure state, as you find them. And then, uh, then as I was telling you the other day, I, there were these garnet crystals that uh, also very beautiful, transparent. And as I was walking along this this valley, I realized that uh, all around me, the rocks, the the mountains were made of were s some kind of silvery rock, no, really shiny with the sun and. Uh, when, cl when looking closely, you could see many spots on these silver rocks that looked like almost there had been shooting all around because there were so many of these spots. As I looked closely, I realized they were all uh, garnet crystals. So there were garnets everywhere, all around me, thousands and thousands of garnets. Of course, they were not the same quality as the one the old man had given me because they were more transparent the one that he given, had given me but like there were some beautiful rocks with like maybe 20-30 crystals on them and uh, and yeah I remember picking up one of, one of them and, and taking it with me because I never saw so many crystals in one in one little space like that and I, and, I, and I was thinking about it the other day, where, where did it end up, this stone? I remember I gave it to my grandmother because I remember she always wore jewelry with garnet. And uh -huh. So I thought, she's the right person to give this to because it's the same stone, no? Right. So from then on, I, uh, I, I became really interested in stones. And wherever I traveled that I so either raw stones or, or already cut stones, I started buying material around, no? Did you like get some books and educate yourself or just yes, talk to people? Yes, I did. I did uh, 
bought book and, and started uh, studying a little bit. And then in different occasions in Italy, I would sp in, in, in India, I would spend, uh, spend time in Jaipur where th there's uh, this big market of stone where they bring all the rough stones from many parts of the world to be cut. Mm. You know? So there you find all kinds of stones. And by spending time in this place, I learned a lot about stones. Did you ever get ripped off? Well, in this world, in the, the world of stone, it's very easy to get ripped off yeah. because uh, uh, you know, like beautiful stones are are, are limited. So, yeah. uh, what they do is to try to make them look beautiful, and there are mm, different treatments that they do with stones to right. change their appearance a little bit. You can take them and put them in the oven. In the oven, exactly. Yeah. In acids, in radiate them with uh, actually really radioactive uh, rays. Yeah. Or uh, and these things change the color, change transparency, the color, uh, melt impurities inside, uh. and. Uh, yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, I would say almost 80-90% of certain stones are genuine, but not natural. Natural in the sense that like yeah. the way you find them. You, I remember you telling me a story about, I, and again, maybe I've transposed the story over the years, but I think it was a Frenchman who developed a technique for taking powdered turquoise and forming stones or what looked yeah, like stones? Well, not really. The, yes, it was a Frenchman, I think, and I, I don't remember if the name is right, Gibson, Gip, Gibson, something like that. And he was the one who first developed like the synthetic uh, lapis, la, lapis and uh, turquoise. Lapis. Uh. And, um, yeah, and I don't think he did it with, with powdered uh, real stone. He, he found out some other way to to make the to make these bricks made out of some material that, when baked, would become as hard, if not harder, than the real stone and of the same color. No. And uh, when work, when, when cut into stone to set in jewelry, would, would be almost exactly the same. You would need to be an expert to recognize. And it has the, like, the black impurities and yes, the cracks. And, this, and, and these like, little gold, uh, you know, some of the lapis has these gold uh, uh. spots that looks like, uh, like like stars in the sky, mm. you know, because the, the, the stone is blue and then you have these little spots that look like stars, which is very common with a lot of the lapis. And people like this a lot, even though when you look at quality, actually the best quality is when it's pure blue without any impurity inside, you know. So, yes, yeah, like you, it's a world where you have to know what what quality is, otherwise you you get sold anything, you know, you get told uh, anything. And it's legal to call this lapis, it's legal to call this turquoise? Well, you know, in certain countries like India, like for example, 
they know that there's a lot of people that go and and because there is not so expensive to buy stones go and try to buy something and see if they can make a living out of it so it's not really that they they have to be honest with you and tell you what it is that you are supposed to know what you get right. so it's your fault if you are not recognizing a good yeah. stone from uh, a, f a false one caveat and what is it in latin caveat emptor and what is that buyer beware ah uh, yeah, yeah yeah and well of course if you go to a very expensive jewelry shop well, then they have to give you a guarantee that, right. that what you're buying is worth yeah. the price you're, price you're paying, you know? But most people who are buying a turquoise necklace or a turquoise ring, it's, it, they're getting this... Most people also because, you know, like the request is so high and the, and the, the amount of turquoise in the world is so little. Hmm. So there's not enough for all the jewelry right. requested in the world. So they make uh, similar things made from other materials and these with many stones eh? yeah I, I remember when I was working in the diamond district in Manhattan there I was talking with a the jeweler there and we were talking about diamonds and uh. imperfections and how he graded them and all this and I, I said uh, so could you get me a good price on a diamond if I wanted to buy one for my girlfriend or some stupid idea like that and he said why would you buy a diamond I said, well, I don't, you know, he said, buy a cubic zirconium. Uh -huh. It's it's more beautiful. And he said, you know how, how I can tell the difference between a cubic zirconium and a real diamond? Sir, cubic zirconium is perfect. Uh -huh. Diamonds aren't. I mean, exactly. And it's like, you know, and, I, and that made me think, like, what does it mean? What do we mean when we talk about quality? You know, like... You and I were talking about love earlier and all these things that get mistaken for love yeah. because, and I, I was telling Viram a story, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast, but it involves my father um, getting confused as to which dog was his dog and loving the, <laughs> loving the wrong one. So was that real love, right? Yeah. And so if you have a, a necklace, a beautiful turquoise necklace that your you know ex-boyfriend gave you and it's his thing and it means so much to you and now we're telling you well that's not actually turquoise that came from the ground that's probably some shit that was baked in a brick in an oven in a factory and then da 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 does that change anything i mean i know for you as someone who works with stones it makes a difference yes but does it make a difference to the experience of the end user? No, I wouldn't think so. Uh, in fact, what, what I tell people when they want to buy something like that, I tell them, buy what you like. Mm. Uh, don't go and buy something looking for uh, whether it's, it's uh, natural, treated, or mm. just buy what you like because, right. because you get a better deal. <laughs> because if you really if you really want to buy something precious yeah you have to pay a lot of money because precious is rare yeah it is rare and rare things cost. by definition it's rare yeah. otherwise exactly. it isn't it's precious because yeah. it's rare exactly. but but rarity does not imply quality well it does in a way because uh, quality 
as far as a stone is concerned means for example let's say for a, a diamond a ruby or a sapphire or whatever stone it is it has to have those characteristics that are, are very rare to find like the, it has to be the, uh, as as transparent as it can be so without impurity inside, so the more transparent it mm. is, the, the, the more valuable it is, because it's more difficult to find a stone without impurity than one with impurity. And as far as a color stone is concerned, uh, uh, it has to have a, a particular color, a certain color. Mm -hmm. So, And if it is natural, that color, of course, uh, is more valuable than a color that has been given to the stone by heat treatment, let's say. No? So if it, it naturally yeah. does those characteristics, it, it's rare because there are very few who have those characteristics. Right. But see, but I think we're, I think it's a circular, uh, I think a tautology because we're defining quality in terms of rarity. And then we say, therefore, rarity implies quality. But you and I were talking the other day about mother of pearl, mm. right? Yeah. To me, mother of pearl is one of the most beautiful, naturally occurring substances on earth uh -huh. that I've ever seen. But it's not rare. It's not rare also because, uh, I mean, uh, the, 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 the colors of mother of pearl, you find it almost in every mother, mother of pearl, you know. And uh, so it's not rare for that reason. Right. And also it's not precious because... Uh, it's not rare. It's not rare, <laughs> and it's not a long-lasting thing. Ah, that's another it's fragile. Thing. Ah, the hardness. The and hardness. Yeah, yeah, right? that's a good point. So, right. uh, if you buy something and it doesn't last long, then its value is... Although, let's face it, we're not going to last long. Yeah, that's true, but you can this, pass it this on. This episode of the podcast is going to last long. You can pass it on oh, to, your, to children. your children. It can be inherited by... And your children's children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one we don't have. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah. Have you ever thought that you might... Because uh, now we're, we're getting to the age where if we did have children in our 20s that we didn't know of, they'd be, like, finding us. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? Viram has no children that he knows of, and we're the same age. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Sorry, can you... Have, have, you, what was <laughs> have, have you... I mean, because I've... I've I'm at the age now where it's like, okay, it's no longer a question of whether I'm going to have children. Mm -hmm. It's extremely unlikely uh -huh. with my 55-year-old wife that I'm going to have children, right? Uh, and so now sometimes I wonder, like, well, you know, there was that woman back in 1987, uh -huh. and like, what if she was pregnant, you know? Mm -hmm. Or what if that was my kid? And what if... Yeah, I wonder about that. You read about, you know, someone knocking sure. at the door, like, hey, you're my father. Like, yeah, yeah good to meet you. Like, is that something? Because the whole reason I didn't have kids was that I didn't want to get tied into mm. the whole, you know, being tied into the family thing through all those years. But now those years are pretty much past. Yes. So now a kid who reaches out to us is going to be in their 20s. 20s, 30s, yeah. Right. So they're not going to be like asking for money or, you know, come home and, you know, wipe my ass, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's almost like the work's done. I'd almost be happy to meet them at this yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yes. Well, that's that's I what I, mind, I think yes. I'm admitting to being a real cat here. <laughs> I, well, I'll edit this part out. <laughs> but I wouldn't mind being a dad of someone who was in their 20s, uh -huh. I think. 
Yeah, yeah, it could be. I just uh, didn't want to be a dad of a fucking twelve-year-old. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, sure. Although twelve-year-olds can be cool, they're kind of magical, mythical figures. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in in Portland, actually Murphy. If you're listening, he was on the podcast. He was, I think he was. No, he's older. He's thirteen. I think it was 13 and a half or something when when we recorded he turned 14 by now he's a wonderful guy uh-huh. i'd love to have a kid like that you know because they're kind of half wild animal half human yeah, yeah 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 and there's something it's like better it's like a dog who talks no insult murphy a <laughs> <laughs> talking dog um anyway so back to your story so so that was the beginning of your interest in gemstones and then you just sort of naturally pursued that and and coupled with your aesthetic sensibility and your patience and uh, your tactile abilities, you started making jewelry and pipes and it was a way to support yourself on the road. Yes, that that's what happened. But it did, it did happen after a few years from that first trip. So how were you supporting yourself in those early days? Uh, well... I was, the first years that I was traveling to Asia, I would go, I would go back to Italy and uh, do some seasonal job for a few months, two, three months, right. and, then, and then go back traveling. You know? right. And as, as life in those times was so cheap, it w- was enough to just work a few months. Then, uh, then I started trading. I started uh, buying things in India, in Asia, and bringing them back to Europe and selling these things. And of course, it wasn't really enough at a certain point for all my movements. You no, know? so uh, I was at the same time working as a not really as a physiotherapist, but I was giving massage here and there, so I was getting money from that also. And um, and then there's another chapter of my life that I, I'm not going to include it in this uh, podcast because it would be a long story, but anyway, it was a time that I spent in, in the Osho commune, commune and that I'd gotten into some other form of body work that I then w- worked with for a few years and that helped me to support my mm. my journeys and uh, and then it was after that that I started really working with jewelry and and uh, and living on it mm. so so we left the the last uh, this first journey through Pakistan we left it where you had sold the uh, shushu Exactly, exactly, yes. I had sold the donkey just just a few kilometers, like 20 kilometers before the place I was... Gilgit? Gilgit, yeah. Gil- yes, Gilgit. And, um, and that was where, uh, where, uh, where I arrived with the donkey at a place where uh, I could have gotten into a car and and move from there mm. so that that's what happened i i then I sold the donkey and then i got a lift to gilgit and uh, uh, that, that's in gilgit i arrived at a place i remember 
uh, guest house who had an inner courtyard. You know. And I remember the second day I was there, I was having breakfast in the morning and uh, outside this courtyard on the street there was a little chai shop, a little bar, let's say, where, where I was having breakfast. And all of a sudden a car stopped. A guy jumped out of the car with a machine gun and started shooting at another guy across the road. And then ran away with the car. No? And the guy that was shot fell to the floor and he, I remember seeing he had one arm almost cut off by the, the shooting. And he was on the floor uh, screaming and screaming and, and the people from the place I was having breakfast, they grabbed me and they took me inside the place, inside the, the guest house where I was staying. And, uh, and then what happened was that <clears throat> all of a sudden the, the Pakistani army came to that area and, uh, and uh, declared curfew, you know, didn't want anybody to go out in the street, but the curfew was 24 hours, you could not go out in the street anytime. So I remember I was one week inside this guest house without any possibility to go out, having breakfast, lunch and dinner based on carrot soup, because that was all that was getting to the place. So one week only carrot soup. And, and some chapati, yes, some uh, bread made from uh, this flat yeah. uh, chapati bread. That was all for a week. And then, after one week, uh, they, they, they allowed people to go out just for one hour a day. So first day I went out and got some food to eat because I could not stand the carrots anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I got some You're food. shitting orange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember. Yeah. And then, the day after, they they allowed people to go out two hours. So the day after, I decided to leave the city in these two hours and and, and get out of that situation. And that's that that was when I decided to walk out of this place. And I made these other hundred kilometers walking. What? So, af so this was the same. Like, after walking three hundred kilometers, yeah. no, five hundred. Five hundred was five hundred, and then through mud and bodies and like all this disaster. Yeah. Then you spend a week eating carrot soup and say, "Oh, let's go for another walk." Well, it wasn't really. Let's go for another. You're a walk. fucking lunatic, man. <laughs> well, you know, it was like I did enjoy the walk before, even though I went through all kind of strange things happening, no? but I enjoyed the nature and I enjoyed the mm. space I was into when doing this walk. Yeah. I really, really loved it actually. So that was an easy choice, an easy decision to, to walk again, because I liked it. <laughs> and also, it's funny, after all that you know, tranquility, you're talking about the silence and sort of invading your mind yeah, and right. the voices in your head calmed and the drunken monkeys calmed down and all that stuff. Your first taste of being back in civilization is fucking a machine gun, screaming, death, 24-hour curfew, and carrot soup. You're and like, fuck it, I'm going back. And it's not finished. Wait. Oh, no. So I started this other walk, which was an easy walk, actually, mm -hmm. also all downhill. 
and uh, right because now it's September it's late have, September yeah late so you September. have to think about cold yeah. now yeah, yeah. and uh, but that was like 100 kilometers would have been four-day walks right. no, not 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 that much anymore yeah. Uh, so I made this other walk in, in it's called Naran Valley was called I, I mean Naran was the name of the main village on this valley I don't remember if the valley is also called Naran Valley or what but but yes it was in this valley another very beautiful beautiful valley nature wise and the, the, the majesty of the mountains around you was just beauty beauty pure beauty and and uh, and the people that I would meet were really beautiful people. These Pakistani mountain people were really, really. I didn't expect to find such beautiful people. Very generous and very helpful for everything. So I did walk these other 100 kilometers in four days, something like that, four or five days. And then I ended up at a place where I took a bus to go back to, I guess Islamabad it was, because I wanted to get a visa to go back to India. And I remember in the middle of the bus ride, the bus had to stop because there also was happening the same thing that happened in, in Srinagar, these people uh, beating themselves up in the middle of the road. So every, all the, 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 the cars and buses and everything had to stop and waiting for this procession to, to pass. But what, what struck me that time was that in front of everybody, these hundreds of people on the street bleeding all over the place, it was, there was a, a foreigner. It was a foreigner, the first one, and then I heard, it, I heard from somebody who was a German. And he was kind of leading the procession, and, and he was the one almost bleeding most of anybody. I said, wow, this, this, there's weird people in this world, you know. And half of them are German. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was, he was surely weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember in India, I, I don't know if, if this will offend you, actually, um, but I, I remember seeing people in India who, from my perspective anyway, had been in India too long, uh, yeah, yeah. or oh, yeah, yeah. were just taking it yeah. too seriously mm -hmm. in their hippie. Uh -huh. They were like militant hippies, mm. and you know they had the dreadlocks. They had they were barefoot. They you know you could see they hadn't eaten in a long time. They were trying to be sadhus mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Met so many of these people, and I mean the ones I met were almost always German. Oh really? Uh, <laughs> it's just like you guys need to relax. Uh -huh. Or French? There are a lot well, of French. Yeah, German, French, many Italians I, I met also. Oh, okay. but yes, mostly German. Some Swiss I remember meeting. But yes. What, mm. what are they looking for? What's going on with that? 
I don't know why they, I don't know, but like they go into that trip thinking to find maybe, 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 maybe yes, the so-called peace that they see in these other sadhus that they see, eh, because it doesn't mean that it's there, because, mm. because you see what you want to see most of the time. Yeah. And... Uh, it's like that love for the golden retriever. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah, it's what you're feeling is not what's out there in the world. Uh, it's what it triggers what's in what's you. What's happening inside of you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so I interrupted you. Uh, oh, the bus ride. So you took the bus back to Islamabad? Uh, t yeah, I, I, t I was telling you that it wasn't finished with this... Uh, shooting thing but then I had to go through again this other bloody event then from well then from then on it was all easy traveling down to Islamabad where I got my visa and then from there I guess I went back to India if I were a member not easy, you know, because so many times I've been to India and, and also Pakistan a few other times, so mm. I might confuse what I've done that time or that yeah. time. But yeah, so I went back to India and I went to a place, a part of India that I had never been before, that was Gujarat. And I went to this small island called Diu. Mm. Diu was one of the three Portuguese enclaves. Yeah, that's where Casilda's family's from. Ah, from Diu. Yeah, ah. from Goa, Damao, the and, and Diu. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a small island off the coast of, uh, of uh, Gujarat, of just, just a little, maybe the, it's just a canal between the island and the mainland. But yes, you enter into another world. It's like it's it's a Christian little island because it was colonized by the Portuguese, and there, of course, they have like in the man in, in Goa, they sell alcohol. So mm. it's a place where all where many Indians like to go and 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 get wasted because that's what happened when Indians come in touch with alcohol. Uh, so it's a funny little place because you see <laughs> you see Indians transform into I, I mean usually Indians are kind kind of uh, heavy but when they are drunk they're really too much yeah. they really get too much you know because they lose any inhibition that they have especially with women you yeah. know Foreign women, of course, they cannot touch their women because otherwise they get killed. So it's nice. It's not a nice scene what you see when Indian people are drunk. But the place, beautiful, beautiful little island, and uh, and uh, the, this old colonial uh, atmosphere. It, it's nice. It was a trading colony, I imagine. Yes. <coughs> like yeah. the others, of course, it was by the sea, so it was like a, a pied-à-terre for the the, 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 the boats that yeah. were bringing goods to Europe, I guess. Stealing goods from them and bringing them to Europe. <laughs> it's progress. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> then what happened after that? 
Well, uh, I remember I stayed there in view because I was receiving mail from this famous woman I talked about uh, at the beginning. Isn't it amazing how many of our peregrinations of youth are were determined by women who, like, you know, uh -huh. have disappeared from our lives exactly. decades ago? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, if you were talking to, as you are, actually, uh, to people in their 20s, mm -hmm. from your perspective now, you know, 30 years later, what kind of advice would you give them? Are there, like, if you had a 22-year-old son or daughter, uh, have you ever thought of, like, what? And they came to you and said, hey, you're my father. <laughs> give me some advice. Well, what kind of advice, advice do you want? Yeah, like, what, you know, how to avoid... My son. <laughs> <laughs> like, how to avoid the biggest mistakes in life, you know? Because, like, for example, th th this just made me think of it, you know, like... Like, I remember, like, I cut trips short. Uh -huh. uh, I, I was traveling, my first trip in India was India, Nepal, and there was a woman back in New York that I had a thing with and, you know, uh, but very difficult and always had trouble. Like, we'd be together for a little while and then it was too much because she was just really uh, had a lot going on in her life. And uh, but it was great, you know, and I missed her. I missed the connection and the yeah. passion and all that. And um, but like I made major changes in my life to be with her uh -huh. and now I look back on it and I think what how fucking stupid I was because I should have realized after one or two failures that that a that that was not a relationship that was worth making major changes mm -hmm. about but and I don't mean that as a judgment against her it's as much a judgment against me but but also, too, I didn't want it to work. Uh -huh. I was too young. You know what I mean? But, yeah, you, but you know what it is. Maybe, maybe you were not ready to realize that, you know, so that's, that's why it didn't happen. And about mistakes also, yeah, you asked me what I would suggest to the son. Well, you know, now I realize that mistakes is uh, what our experiences and are what form you in your life, you know, and, and uh, and, uh, like, for example, now, if you look at yourself now, if you hadn't made those mistakes, you wouldn't be who you are now. Yeah, but see, that, that line of thinking doesn't work for me because I might be much better than I am now. You know, we're, that only works much if you... Much too, you know. Possibly, but, but that line of thinking only works if we assume that the end result is the best possible result. If you assume that it's just one random, one of many possible results, then it could have been much better. I mean, I think the one piece of advice I give to people is, you know, and it goes back to, I guess it was Socrates or Plato or somebody who said, know thyself, right? Mm -hmm. or, or Shakespeare said... Uh, you know, to thine own self be true, and thou, it follows as night to the day thou canst not then be false to any other man, right? Mm. So, like, figure out who you are and stick to that. And, and I think that was my mistake, that I knew who I was, but I was willing to negotiate in exchange for intimacy, sex, love, 
you know, all these love in quotation marks, of course, all these things that that I was desperately hungry for, I was willing to betray my sense of who I was. And that stopped me from progressing as a person and wasting. It made me waste a lot of time in relationships that had no future, because if you have to betray who you are in order to get into the relationship, then obviously that relationship can't last because eventually you come to the point where you say, either I stay with her or I be true to myself, in which case you better be true to yourself or yeah. you're a dead man, right? And I, I, did, it, I think that was my, a big mistake I made through my 20s. Yeah, but maybe you needed that. You, you had the need of those... Uh situations no because if you were getting into you had the need and that is yeah. what then after made you see, made you see it more clearly what what eventually uh, yeah but i i do regret the pain i caused to other people well, in the course. time it took me to figure that shit out of course of course but you know you've caused pain to other people people have caused pain to you it's all it's all experiences that then form you and and uh, and 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 hopefully make you aware of it and then y you have a possibility of not repeating those situations right and we and we can give this this wisdom we can pass this wisdom on to young people who will ignore it and make the same mistakes <laughs> yes <we> because <laughs> me 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 i think I think that, you know, my understanding is that you cannot help anybody. Nobody can be helped unless they are ready to be helped. Right. And it's not you helping them, it's simply they are ready to receive a message that is passing through in that moment. That me right. message might come through you, through you, but not because you tell them through you because you are an example that they admire and that they somehow through this admiration or through something that opens up it becomes something that make them understand what they need to understand right it's funny how that works i can remember there are, there are moments in my life where I can remember someone saying something to me. It's an example of what you just described. Where, it, 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 and it, normally it was not them saying, hey, here's the thing, you need to remember, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was more a behavior or just a gesture of kindness exactly. that showed that they understood what I was going through mm -hmm. and forgave me for being an idiot or, or whatever it was. And at the moment, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But two, three, four years later, somehow it was still in the files sure. and I went back and it was like, Ah, that's what he was trying to uh, show me. Yeah, yeah. Or not even trying. Not, it, or, or that's not, what it, I was trying to see, exactly, and I couldn't see it. Exactly. And now I see it, and somehow I kept it. Uh -huh. it. It's like a piece of food that stays in your stomach, yeah. and and you digest it five years later. Finally, yeah. I guess that there is not some, the best metaphor. Some inner intelligence in everybody of us that knows that people are not what they say. 
is not what comes out of their mouth. Yeah. It's more the choices they make. The choices they make is what they really are. It's not really what... The, from your mouth, anything can come out. You right. know, from our mouth, we try to convince people of many things. Just and many ourselves. times, it's just a form of manipulation. You know, yeah. our our verbal communication. Whereas the people that one does is what he is. Yeah. So that's why I think that that trying to teach something to somebody, it's a uh, waste of time because if the other person is not ready to receive that message there's no teaching that can be no matter how, how big how, how how important it is how wise it is if the other person is not ready I mean at the end I think the the merit can you say the merit the merit is his is not yours yeah. you know? it's 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 him who is in the position in that moment to to catch what is passing no? right and it's always passing like you say whether it passes through me you oh, or yes, a, yes. a book a television yes. show a song it's uh, always and it's it, always there it might strike you because it's manifested in that way but the same example is manifested from another person in another way which might be of help to another person, not to you, because it's a message in a language that you don't understand. You know? right. So yes, they're always passing, and we, we catch the one that is in tune with us, let's say, in, 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 with, that has the same wavelength. Resonance. Uh, resonance with, uh, yeah. that we have. No? That <coughs> yeah. So you, you lived in India 25 years, maybe? Almost 25 years. Of course, every, almost every year I was going back to Europe to see my family and friends. Not for long, though, maybe a month, two months, something like that. But yes, I spent most of the time in India. Of course, India and, uh, and uh, countries around because of visa reason and... Uh, yeah, mostly of visa reason. You said you went to Sri Lanka a few times. I went to Sri Lanka many times at a certain point, you know, like almost every six months, because at that time you would get six months visa for India, so you yeah. would have to get out of the country and go somewhere else to get a visa. And in, in, yeah, in those years, like I might have gone five, six or more times now, I don't remember, to, to Sri Lanka, as I did to Thailand or to... to also Pakistan or to Laos, Nepal. all the countries are Nepal, oh. yes, Nepal also. Did you do any serious walking in no, Nepal? No, no, I didn't. I didn't in Nepal. I mean, I went trekking, short trekkings, but not walking like I did in, uh, in uh, Pakistan before. Or I did in India also, because one time I went to Man from Manali to Ladakh. Mm. Yeah? Oh, that's... Yeah. That's another 500 kilometers. And it's uphill. Yes, and yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think you go through the highest pass in the world, if I'm not mistaken, which is almost 5,000, almost 6,000 meters, 5,500, something like that. Did you have a donkey on that? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> by myself. 
by myself. Man, I think I would have a donkey on every one of those. Yeah, well, it would have been uh, good help eh, because no matter how small your backpack is, after some time you're walking, it's heavy. It's heavy. So, it gets heavier and heavier the further yes, up you go. Yes, exactly, especially when you go up at those altitudes, yeah. like, can't breathe, you walk like 200 meters, you have to stop and, 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 and get some oxygen, which you don't get actually because yeah. it's not there. Why did you do that? What Did you just feel like going on another long walk? Was because, it a meditative thing? Yes, because of the beauty of the experience of walking by yourself. But why not go down? Down from where? Well, from, from Leto. Yeah. No, because it's not actually down. Because in the middle you have uh, these two passes. Down, the Rotang, yeah. Rotang Pass and these other pass, I don't remember the yeah. name now, which are very high both. So you have to go up and down both ways. I'm lazy, dude. I'm really fucking lazy. Yeah, but you know, you do it, you take your time, you know. Yeah. You just walk at your path, s slowly or fast, whatever, and uh, you get where you get. I, for me, the perfect journey right now, I think, would be floating down a river on a raft. Oh, yes. Like a nice, not, not rapids, crazy waterfalls, just like floating down, maybe the Mekong or something. Uh, you're talking about Vientiane, like this. Yeah. Van Vien. Uh, well, Van Vien was nice. It's tubing, what is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you, have you done that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently they don't do it anymore. I think something people happened. people were dying. Uh, something happened. Uh, well, I don't know when, when you did it. I did it the year we met you, which is uh, 2003, I think. Yeah, me might have been a few years before. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So we're talking about this town in Laos uh, with a beautiful river and limestone mountains mm. all around. Yes. And they had the, they would just take truck uh, inner tubes and drive you a few miles up the river and drop you in and you float back down to the town. And um, when I did it, there were a few guys who would like sit on rocks and they had beers underwater and nets and they'd, wow. you'd come yeah. by and they'd pull up a beer lao for you yeah, and yeah, pop yeah. it and hand it to you and you hand them a, whatever it was, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the coins. And, uh, and some other guys rolled joints and they'd hand you joints as you floated by. And there were two or three places where there, you could stop and get a little food. And I remember there was one place where they had, you'd jump off a, cliff that mm -hmm. was near the river yeah. and another yeah. that where they'd built a like a a wooden it was like a ladder that they had inclined out over the river and you could climb out to the end of the ladder and fall exactly. drop off and uh, uh, uh. and that okay that was cool fun yeah, little thing but apparently that went crazy and they started making bigger and bigger things and higher jumps and all that and then people started like Getting hitting their hurt. heads and dying and mm, yeah I, and I think it's good that they stopped doing that because I remember I went years later, I passed by Van Dieng again and and it had become really like also like you would see all these very young foreigners walking almost naked in, in, in the village and you know you are in a, in a culture where this is not, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not good. Uh, and and uh, yes, tr people drank all over the place, and it was a pity because the place was a very small, beautiful place. Yeah. And and, and another thing was like all these bar and restaurant. Uh, they all had uh, television and showing movies, so people was just watching movies from morning to evening in these amazing, beautiful surroundings. You know, so wasting yeah. that. 
time and in front of television where when all around there was so much beauty. You go all the way to Laos yeah. to, to watch a fucking yeah. bullshit some, Hollywood some, uh, movie. Some shooting movie. Yeah. So it was really, well, as far as I'm concerned, better it's been all closed down. So what do you, were you raised as a Catholic? Yes, I would say so because my parents were and are Catholics. But uh, as, I, as I was also, like, it was another of those things that I was forced to do, like to go to church. And uh, I, I, at an early age, I rebelled against it because anything that I had to do just didn't go down with me. So, mm. uh, and, then, and then it was also contrasting the the. the, the the teaching and, and, and the doing of people that professed to be Christian that made me really not not wanting to bo to be part of it, you know. And in the mean, at the same time, I was uh, as a teenager, I was uh, coming in touch with knowledge about other religions, so. I, I came to realize that, you know, if I was Christian, it was just because I was born in a Christian place. If I had born a few hundred kilometers east, I would have been in, in, in Yugoslavia and I would have been a Muslim, you know, or whatever. So it was all a matter of where you were, you were, where you were born. And, and, those, uh, and that were, would have been the conditioning you, 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 you'd be brought up with, you know. And uh, so, yes, I was brought up as a Christian, but... Where, where are you now, spiritually? Well, where am I now? Of course, I don't believe in anything. I so, were you an atheist? No, I'm not an atheist, but I don't believe in what I'm told. I believe in what I experience. And uh, that I mean, every religion might reflect something of what I experience. And uh, but none of these organized religion is really attracting me because because they they it's confusing but because i don't i don't feel a need to be part of a religion in order to to have a feeling of something spiritual you know As I told you before, I had been uh, spending a long time in this commune, Osho commune, and I had been listening to Osho for many years. And uh, through him I've come to realize that uh, it's what you experience that is, is, is uh, In a way, is your guru. You know, mm. you you don't have to follow anybody. Follow yourself. Follow yourself. 
So yes, that's where I am with spirituality, and I don't I don't spend much time anymore uh, with my thinking. Was that an important part of your life when you were younger? I would think so. Yes, it was very important because it made me uh, learn how to live and enjoy the moment. Mm. Uh, I learned I learned that, and uh, I found that it's it's the most important thing. I was thinking recently how uh, you know when you're younger, at least in my case, I had lots of questions. And I thought I read a lot, and I traveled a lot, and I felt that those were ways of finding answers to the questions. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it's true that the questions no longer occupy uh, a very big part of my life. As you just mm -hmm. said, you're not really thinking about it that much uh -huh. anymore. I feel the same way. But it's not really because I've answered the questions. I've just come to some sort of peace with the fact that there are no answers. And somehow the questions have disappeared, you know, in, yeah. in my case too. I'm, I'm, I'm not interested anymore in giving an answer to a question that, uh, that I don't know whether it would give you anything, you know. It's kind of like horniness. It's kind of? Like, you know, horny is when you like want to fuck all the time, uh -huh, uh -huh. right? It's like, it was like a form of intellectual Yes, uh, horniness, desire, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's just with age, you know, you, you just have less desire, so there's more peace, or if it's that you have so much sex in your 20s that finally you, you don't need to anymore, or I don't know what it is, but, but there's a diminishment of the urgency around that. Yeah, I guess it is a form of transcending certain experiences because you've had them and and uh, and um, you don't feel the need to perpetuate them anymore. Right. You know? Right. So, what? How is travel for you in that respect? Because I came to a point where I felt I still love to travel, but I didn't need it the way I did when I was mm -hmm. younger. I mean, when I was younger, and it's different for you, you found India, and, and it sounds to me like India was your great love yeah, for yes. a long time. Yes. For me, it was like I just wanted lots of stamps in my passport. Uh -huh. Not because I was running around showing people how many countries I've been to or whatever, but it felt like the more different cultures and perspectives I had experienced, the more I would be uh, detribalized. Do mm -hmm. you know that phrase? Mm -hmm. jo you know Joseph Campbell? Yeah. He was a mythologist. Uh -huh. He talked about detribalizing. So uh -huh. as you were saying earlier, like, yeah, you're born in Italy, but 100 kilometers this way, you're in Yugoslavia, or this way, you're France, whatever. The first stage is to detribalize, to to recognize that you come from this tribe, and to transcend it. Uh -huh. And so I, I felt like seeing the world would somehow de-Americanize me mm -hmm. to a point where I could see things through more global yes, eyes, yes. which I think it did. Um, but then it it started to diminish pretty quickly. 
And then I started to feel like, ah, I need to do something else. I need to, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it eventually led to writing and, and all that. Did, did you, but here you are living in this beautiful place in Thailand. Is this still fulfilling for you to be out in an alien world? It is, even though, you know, like by, by having, let's say, built this base here in, in this little island in Thailand, uh, uh, I thought it would have given me the possibility then to, to yes, have a base and from there move on and see, see other, other places that, that I've al always been interested on. But then you realize that when you have a place, the place takes a lot of your time and your energy too, because you have to take care of the place. <laughs> the place has you. Yes, yes. Especially when you have a garden around you that is alive, so you have to <laughs> to work on it to to keep it uh, to keep it beautiful. You know? Yeah. And. Uh, so yes, I'm happy to have a base, but at the same time, I'm, uh, I find myself now trying to organize it in a, such a way that I can really let go also of this base and, and, uh, and go out there where, where I've always felt at, at ease, mm. at home, you know. Mm. Uh, so yes, I built a place, but there's not that strong attachment to the place because what, what gives me more satisfaction is like is the freedom of uh, or not of not of not having attachments and that i found yeah. it most in traveling in in moving around you know and that seems to me like a spiritual practice because when you have no attachments, it feels, and, and I'm, I may be projecting this to you, I don't, I'm not saying you feel this, but for me, when the, the fewer attachments I have, which, like you, is when I've been on extended trips, I feel um, like I'm ready to die. Uh -huh. I have nothing. I came with nothing, exactly. now I have nothing. Exactly. If I die, uh -huh. it's just a raindrop on the ocean. Exactly. And yes. It's okay. And it's when I have a lot of stuff and a lot of emails and a lot of this and a lot of that. It, then fills, up, like, it fills up your mind too. All this yeah. stuff, material stuff fills up your mind, you know, through, through worrying about these things, through, yes, through, through filling up a space, yeah, as I said, with worries at the end, and responsibilities. Yeah, and 90% of the things we worry about never pass, never come to pass anyway. Yeah, you know? I mean, also this worrying business is just such a waste of time, you know, because these worries are just uh, fear, that materialize in our mind uh, for things that are not real because they are just uh, 
things that might happen but also might not happen so and yeah. actually most of the cases they don't you are worrying about something that m this might happen and then this thing didn't doesn't happen and you've been wasting your time worrying about something that <laughs> and the thing that is most likely to happen is you're going to have fucking heart disease because you spend so much time exactly, worrying. Exactly, all yeah. this stress for worrying and, yeah. and fearing and uh, yeah. is, it, it just makes you sick too. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get practical here. Because <laughs> we've been talking for I don't know how many hours. Uh, can people see and buy any of your jewelry? Well, as you know, and as you've seen, I've, I've built also a little shop here in the island where I sell my jewelry and my girlfriend's and, and the craft. Yeah, also. her amazing, uh, what, what is it called, what she does? Well, is it embroidery? I Would you call guess. it embroidery? It's like know, but psychedelic. She, like, she, she paints with, uh, with embroidery, with stitching in, yeah. in a freeform way, you know, because she doesn't draw anything she just draws while stitching while embroidering the 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 the, the, yeah. the thing she's embroidering it's funny might, to meet might her be man shoes might be bags might yeah. be like paintings she's a she's one of the freest spirits i've ever seen in a human form yes she is uh, she is because she she has no rules she has no <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, when when i met her I met this this woman that for me was looked like what she was just coming out of the jungle, like a tribe that had never come in touch with uh, <laughs> civilization, and uh -huh. so she was not inside any boundary. Yeah, and that was what attracted me. And uh, and yes, yeah, so th uh, f uh, through her comes this f art form that is. Uh, from what I've seen, different from anything else, you know, and beautiful, beautiful yeah. because it doesn't have a, th a thought behind. There is not a planning. It's all really spontaneous, and uh, at the end result, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So, is there a website, or should I take pictures and put them on my website, or what's well, the there's, to do? there's uh, no website. We don't have at the moment, and and. It, for a guy who has supported himself selling things uh -huh. over the years, you are the least salesperson. I know, I know. Me, I'm very bad at selling. Me, I've always been good at finding things and yeah. looking for things, but not at selling. Me, I'm not good at dealing with people. So let me help you sell things because I know a lot of people listening to this are thinking, man, I would love to have something made by this guy, uh, you know, stones that he found walking through the mountains somewhere or that he bought from some old man in some market in Jaipur. Because, you know, we were talking earlier about what makes a piece of jewelry valuable. And you said, just buy what you like, right? Yeah. But you gave me this necklace that I'm wearing and which I hope to wear the rest of my life. I love the way it looks. Mm -hmm. But more important is that you, it came from you, yeah. that I know you, and then the story of where you got the, the beads and how old they are and where they come from and the history and the, you know, all the meaning that is involved in that makes yeah. it so much more valuable yeah, than the colors. Course. I mean, it's also what attracts me when I look for things. Uh, it's it's the, the story behind them. It's like... Uh, 
they have a story to tell, you know, because they, they, they've been on this earth so long, they've seen, they've gone through so many things, these, these manufacts, you know, and, and, you know, being beads, they might have been worn by either so many people or yeah. even just one person, I don't know, this we don't know, you know? so they, there's, there's some energy in them because they've yeah. gone through a lot of things that happen in this world. And, and that's the beauty of, of, of the thing, because they are beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. So we'll take some photographs of yes. stuff in the shop, sure. and I'll make a page on my website. That would be nice. And people can see it. And you will, I guess they can pay you through PayPal, or they can pay me, and I'll pay you, or yeah, whatever. Uh, we'll we'll whatever. work that out. Whatever. I mean, uh, as I told you, Kalao, my girlfriend, has a. Well, she's on Facebook and she posts all the time pictures of things she made ah, or, good. or things that are on the shop. So, so maybe they can even search through her. That Go through her Facebook address. They can see what. Ah, we can post pictures on her Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, do you know her? Is Kalao C A L? Uh, no, I don't think it's Kalao, but I think it's Arada Saxonpong, which is a real name, like a. a, a the, the name that was given to her at uh -huh. birth. Arada, A-R-A-D-A? -A? Yes. Saxon? Saxon-pong. How do you spell Saxon? S-S-A-K-S-O-M-P-O-G. Okay. Uh, and I'll also put a link to her uh, Facebook page on my site, chrisryanphd.com. So if you don't have a pen and didn't write that down or whatever and you want to check it out later go to chrisryanphd.com look at this episode of the podcast and you'll see a link to that facebook page and if you uh, want to purchase any of that amazing embroidery from kalau or jewelry from viram you'll see it there and there will be some way to do it that's great <laughs> Thanks, yeah, but man. as I was, I was telling you before, yes, yeah. I'm not a good salesman. It's not really what, as a matter of fact, in the shop there is Kalao and yeah. never me. And uh, yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> it ends with a whimper. Uh, let's do this again sometime. Yes, why we'll, not? we'll maybe see each other this summer in, in Italy or in Spain, Spain or whatever. whatever. And yes, why not? Because I'm sure you'll think of, I mean, there's so many. We yeah, I mean, now we've just gone through my first journey to India. You know, the, there's been 30, 40 journeys <laughs> to India. So there's so much stories, so many things yeah. to tell. If well, now that, now that I convince you to do it once, hopefully it'll be easier. The yeah, others. now it's much easier. At the beginning, I was a little bit like, it's not my thing. I've never done it. And, 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 and as you know, I tell you all the time, my memory is so bad. I, I, people sometimes tell me, but you remember when we did this, we did that. And for me, it's just blank. Yeah. I don't remember. No, not at all. That happened to me this morning at breakfast. And Did I tell them, no, that's not true. Me, I wasn't there. And then they yeah. show me picture also. And they say, they yeah. say you, you've really gone bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Casilda asked me this morning, she said, oh, there's something about some guy. And the other day you said he looked nice or whatever. And I said, no. Nah. She said, you remember? I said, no. She said, really? You don't remember that you said this? I said, no. 
and she you know she's a psychiatrist right. so she looks at me like really concerned like mm, brain damage uh oh my <laughs> husband's starting to go I'd say that <laughs> no it's just like I I think it's not that you lose memory as you get older it's that you become more judicious on what you bother to remember yeah like who that, gives a fuck I said yeah. that guy looked nice his shirt I don't care uh-huh. like why am I gonna put any effort into remembering yeah. that let it go I save the space for important Or stuff it's just like my girlfriend says like your memory full like your hard disk is full exactly there's no, no space anymore so to put new things you have to take old things out yeah, you exactly. know Mm. All right. Hey, thanks for doing this, Hiram. Welcome. Most welcome.
Yarabi, Yarabi, Yarabi.